Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. And Anthony did not think one week ago that we would be having the conversations that we are going to have today. And that goes from everything, everything spanning the firing of Joe Girardi, Rob Thompson being named interim manager, and then... Lo and behold, the six wins in six games that followed. And uh, this is a very different team than it was just a week ago. It's in a very different situation than it was just a week ago. And I suspect that the conversation that we are going to have this morning is going to be very different than what it was a week ago. Don't mind me, Bob. I'm over here printing World Series tickets. World Series tickets. (laughs) Do you believe? Do you believe? So listen, today I think we're going to span... Uh, a, a range of topics, you know, is this for real? To what extent is it sustainable? What are the expectations for this team now? How is this happening? Why is it happening? And just really trying to, I think, get a grip on what has been just a a total change in trajectory of this season. And so I think that that's probably our primary objective today. But I have to say before we begin, and this is one thing that I've been thinking now for the last 48 hours or so, if you look at fan graphs, last week, the Phillies had roughly a 19% chance of making the postseason. This morning, on Friday, after they sweep the Milwaukee Brewers, and in impressive fashion, no less, they now have a 36% chance to make the postseason. And it's June, and we don't need to check the standings every single day, but the reason I bring this up is this. Enjoy it. Just enjoy it. You know, people are, are like, well, it's only June and they have to get over 500 for me to believe and they need to show that they can beat the Marlins and, you know, if they get within five of the Mets, then we can talk. There's three different wild card spots. I'm not really invested until they at least own one of those. Everybody just relax because here's the deal. A week ago, you had no shot of having postseason baseball in this city this year. And you may not. It may not come to fruition. It may not happen. But seven days ago, you would have had to be the most optimistic optimist in the city of Philadelphia to have this team contending for a postseason spot. So today, after a sweep of the Angels and after a sweep of the Brewers, just find a way to enjoy it because it's not always enjoyable with this team. Yeah, I mean, I'm, look, that's you're not you're not wrong. What you say there is is 100% right. As you know, I've always been more of a big picture guy, right? I never get too excited when things go well. I never get too down when things are going bad. Um, I'd probably say I was the most down I've been 
last week with this team, I was really starting to get frustrated with the way they were losing games because I'm watching the games going, this team is better than this, and they need to. They should win these games, and that's why I'm getting frustrated. But at the same time, I you know I kept reminding you. We talked about this 32 game stretch that they were playing, right? That they were in the middle of, mm-hmm. and we we agreed at the beginning of it that if they could just go 500 in that 32 game stretch, they'll be okay because then the schedule lightens up. They've played the toughest schedule in the National League. It, it'll get it'll be a little bit easier for the Phillies once you get to that point. Well, now after 32 games, and granted. I did not see a seven-game winning streak coming in this in this thirty-two game stretch. They went seventeen and fifteen. They didn't. They did one. They did two games over five hundred. So they were better than we wanted them to be. And so yeah. that that's that's fantastic. That's that's great. Yes, it's buoyed by a seven-game winning streak. But I, I kind of I, I kind of always felt that this team would find its way eventually. And I give them credit for making the move at the managerial position when they did. I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't necessarily think it was necessary because I thought that the problems were elsewhere. Um, and and it turns out that that was – it kind of loosened up the lock, the clubhouse. It kind of made the clubhouse feel a little bit better about themselves, um, feel more comfortable about themselves, and just went out and play baseball, man, and have a good time doing it. And it seems like that's what they're doing. I mean, you you hear the – the music playing in the in the clubhouse. You hear, you see all the smiles on the faces of the guys. They're they're having fun on the bench, like things like that that they were not doing before. Even when they were winning games, you know, winning those games in L.A. and 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 uh, in Seattle, and you know, when we first thought, okay, this is that was when they were turning the season around. So you know, even at that point, they weren't doing it. So it's it's maybe just what they just needed was a loosening up of the clubhouse to just start playing better. Yeah, there's still flaws. Yeah, there's still holes on this team. And, and But maybe Rob Thompson has more of a little bit more Charlie in him than Joe in him, if that makes sense. And and maybe that's all that this group of, of talented ballplayers needed because with, with, with very few exceptions, everybody's kind of clicking right now. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And we can talk a little bit more about this series against the Brewers and we can also look ahead to the series against the Diamondbacks. But I think... I mean, I'm with you in the sense that this team uh, was not a team that should have been eight games under. Dave Dombrowski talked about that. I think everybody's in agreement. I mean, we all see the flaws. We know that they are not a very good defensive team. We know that the offense can be a little bit inconsistent. We've we've talked about these issues really for, for about eight weeks now. And they're not... They're not gone. They're going to come back, and the Phillies are not going to win every series, and they're certainly not going to sweep every series. At some point, they're going to lose a game with Rob Thompson as a manager. But I guess the the thing that I am, uh, I guess, still sort of processing or still trying to get my head around is that they've they've made this meteoric rise, that they've, they did it with a seven-game win streak, that it wasn't a slow climb back. I mean, very rarely have we seen the Phillies be able to string together wins and sustain momentum. Like, it was a great win on Sunday. Would you have been surprised if they went out to Milwaukee this week and lost two out of three? Nope. I wouldn't have, no. because that's what I've seen from this core group of players for years now. I understand it's a different team, but... There's just always you're waiting for this the, the other shoe to drop, or you're you're kind of waiting to be pinched. Yeah, I mean the, the game yesterday is the one that really impressed me, Bob, because when we looked at the pitching matchups, we kind of thought that the Phillies caught a little bit of a break um, in the way that the, the pitching matchups worked out. In that, you know, the first game, I, I mean, yes, Ranger pitched a fantastic game um, uh, on was that Wednesday? 
Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, pitched a fantastic game. But, I mean, what's his name was pitching from Milwaukee? It was like, no, this, this guy stinks. Like, Jason Alexander. Yeah, yeah Jason Alexander. Like, I mean, that's, that's a, like, you know, they Philly should hit him. And then I liked, you know, even though they were going up against Hauser, who pitched well against them the last time he faced them, Nola was pitching, and Nola's been really consistent. And so I thought, if you could just get those two, it doesn't matter if, you you know, Corbin Burns shuts you down, okay? Yeah, he's a really good pitcher. Um, you know, Eflin's probably going to have to be a bulldog a little bit. You know, if you take two out of three, you're happy, but you want to get those first two. You not let it come down to the third one. Eflin wasn't at his best, but he kept you in the game. And they worked the hell out of Corbin Burns. That's That was where the I was impressed. Like, they made that guy throw pitch after pitch after pitch. And I know people are going to complain. Say there were 400 pitches thrown in the Phillies game um, uh, yesterday, and it was a four-hour game. I get it. But you know what? That's sometimes what it takes to win. And that's what the Phillies had to do to beat a really good pitcher yesterday and we were fouling them off and taking pitches and forcing them to work. It was a really, really impressive day at the plate yesterday, and that was the one that made me go, Okay, I really like this. This is something that even when you're starting pitching, which has carried you, is just a little bit off. You're, the offense is going to be like, "Don't worry, we got you," and and they and they come back and 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 have that kind of game. Really, really impressed with yesterday's performance. Yeah, I mean, especially in a situation where you've already won the first two games of the series, you said, "Wow, we've really we've done enough here." And getaway day, you're coming back home. It would have been easy to just say, "We don't have the upper hand today." Yeah, let's just hey, two out of three, no big deal. I'll tell you what, I, I agree with you. Obviously, they work Corbin Burns. He, he didn't really, he was not on yesterday. No. But the, the thing that was interesting, like we talk about resilience or, and how it kind of, what it says about a team. And like, oh, can they bounce back from a, ba- a bad loss? And I'll even just tell you yesterday, like you talk about the offensive approach and that's all fine and well, but they began the game one for 11 with runners in scoring position. And the trajectory of that game was such that uh, you know, yeah. we had him on the ropes early and we didn't capitalize and then he settles in and Milwaukee has a really good bullpen and we lose the game three to one. And so the fact that they were able to stay on him and finally break through, you know, get and I don't want to say they, they blew his doors off. I believe they only scored two runs against him, if I'm not mistaken. They got to the, the Milwaukee bullpen as the game progressed. Well, they got to them early. Milwaukee's bullpen is yeah. really good in the on the back end. In the back end. The front right. end is, so the front end is just kind spot. of... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Hobie, yeah, Hobie stinking Milner, for God's sake, you know. So what am I doing? I will tell you this though. On the on the on the flip side of it, as good as as good as the offense was and as persistent as the attack was, I'll tell you where I thought that game was won yesterday. I, I thought it was won in the second inning. And so let's see, you know, revisit this sequence here. So Zach Eflin comes out in the second inning and he gets Jace Peterson to fly out softly, quick, easy, four or five pitch out to start the inning. Then he gets Hunter Renfro. It's a slow tapper up the third base side. Eflin makes about as good of a play as you're going to see a pitcher make. He flies off the mound, back foots it across the diamond, out at first base. Two outs, nobody on. But then he gives up a double to Victor Caratini. Tyrone Taylor singles. He walks Yelich. He's really struggling to find it all of a sudden. And so then that brings up Willie Adamas, who went deep on him earlier in the game. And they have a battle. Adamas works a 3-2 count. It's the 10th pitch at the, of the bat. It's, it's at this point, I believe, a 1-1 game, so they just tied it. And you kind of got the feeling like if they fall behind in this game, it may not go their way. And he just kept battling and battling and battling, and he got out of it. He won that battle. And so... 
I'm not trying to give out trophies after a starting pitcher goes four innings. But that game could have gotten away from sure. him. And we've seen that plenty of times with Zach Eflin, that blow-up start where you're like, damn, he's been really good for the most part, but what happened there? And while he didn't give you the depth that you'd want or the length that you would want, I should say, he he kept them in the game and he gave them enough time to kind of find their footing and push through offensively. And sometimes that's the way it's got to be. And I was just really impressed with with him getting through the four innings, getting through that second inning without imploding. And then the offense, like we said, just just relentless. Yeah, they figured it out. Uh, yeah, I, you're right, because I was I was frustrated. What in, I don't remember what inning it was. Maybe it was the third, actually. Didi leads off with a triple, and they can't get him home from third with nobody out. Yeah, it was the fourth was inning. The fourth I mean, inning? you okay, had three, yeah. just three, I mean, non-competitive. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that. man. like, And that's what – even at that point, Bob, I thought – this is just not going to be their day, but right. they found it, and it was because they they is because they got Burns out early, and they were able to get into the soft spot of the Milwaukee pen, and then all of a sudden it was like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna just start teeing off now, and the guys just started. You got you know Schwarber, Schwarber and Harper, and eventually O'Double again, and 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 it just it was great. It was it was great to see. It really really was just to see this this team put up. You know, it's not just you know. You say, well, in the last seven games, I think six of the seven games they scored six runs or more. Um, and so, yeah, this is what the offense is going to be. Yeah, I get it. I understand that. But it was great to see in a game that was easily not in their favor for the first half, not in their favor coming in, not in their favor for the first half. And they said, you know what? We're not happy with just two out of three. We're going to go in and we're going to sweep this team. We're going to sweep the, the Central Division leading team. And I know that we're talking here on Friday morning, but then obviously you go back to the first game of this series and you're going to lose a game. Like, you're not going to win this game. You get Josh Hader coming in. He hasn't given up a run since last July. We've all heard all the stats. And you have Alec Bohm up, who is not a power threat. He's probably going to get overmatched at this point. And he goes deep. And it's just like one of those moments where it blows your mind. And then... Matt Veerling follows it up and goes deep too. And you just, you, you say to yourself, like, you have to have those wins, those crazy wins, the video yearbook wins, yep, right? Yep. And we just had one of those on Sunday. And we talked about that in our last show, just the way that they won the game and what that could potentially do for a team. But then they piggyback it with maybe an even crazier win, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, on, on Tuesday. Well, certainly a more, certainly a more unexpected win. Yeah. Certainly a more yeah. unexpected win for sure. I mean, you don't you don't think just, those guys, those two guys of all people, are going to come in and and uh, and hit back to back home runs off of the best closer in the game, right? I mean, just you don't you don't see that happening. And I, I've seen enough baseball to know that that 14 days from now, we could be we could be talking, going like, oh, remember when they when they got that win, and remember when they swept Milwaukee, and. <laughs> Well, now here they are. They're the Phillies again. Like, I, I know that it's possible, right? Like, I'm not just saying, like, oh, here come the 95-win Phillies all of a sudden. But I, I do think that uh, you get moments like that, and you start to kind of piece them together. And you get enough moments like that, and you say, okay. Changes the feel a little bit. Changes the expectations a little bit. And, and this season just has a, a very different feeling than it did uh, up until up until last Friday, it really does. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, and that's go ahead. And I was going to say, I, I I feel good for Matt Veerling um, to get that because I I, I thought I kind of thought that, and I, I know you're, you're going to hear me say this. And you're going to be like, seriously, dude? I'm going to be like, yeah. 
I kind of felt like he didn't really get enough of a chance at the start of the season. Um, yeah, he played the first, what, seven games without a hit, I think it was. And it was like, okay, you're hitting zero through the first week of the season. Like, you can't expect to be the starting, you know, the everyday center fielder batting zero. Um, but since then, it, you know, and they sent him down, and I was a little surprised, like, that they didn't give him another opportunity. From that point forward, he went 273, 351, 776. Like, I, you know, I, that, that bat does play, and we felt that we felt that last year at the end of the year and coming into the season, that especially against lefties, we felt that that bat would certainly play. Um, so, again, this kind of falls onto the, you know, the whole thing with Joe wasn't letting the young guys play. Obviously, he wasn't letting, you know, giving Stott the regular time. Um, maybe he was the same way with Veerling. It was just like, all right, no, we, we got can't use him. You know, we, we played him for a week. He didn't get a hit. Done. See ya kind of thing. And, right. and I just think maybe he just needed a little bit more time. Not to say that I, th- I think Matt Veerling is an all-star caliber player, but, I mean, should he be your fourth, fifth outfielder on this team? Platooning with whoever you got in center field because he can hit lefties, a hundred percent, hundred percent. That's and you need a right-handed bat on the bench. Like I never quite understood sending him down. I'm glad that he's back. I'm glad he got the big hit, and I hope he stays this time because I do think that bat plays in this league. Yeah, I don't really have any pushback there. I'm not like uh, Matt Veerling truther, or, <laughs> you know. But I mean, I, I think that when you consider what they're what their roster looks like and the lack of the ability to right, uh, hit from the right side, the lack of depth, needing a, another right-handed bench bat that can play center field. I mean, they need him up here. Uh, and we'll see if he sticks. He went down and, and struggled a little bit when he first went down to Lehigh Valley, but kind of found his footing and got it together, especially late here. Had a big game on Sunday, gets the call up and takes immediate advantage. So, you know, hey, we'll, we'll see how it kind of uh, – works moving forward here. I, I will tell you this. Um, the numbers are starting to come together a little bit for this offense. And I guess that goes without saying, but since Rob Thompson's become the manager of the Phillies, not only are they, they six and zero under him, but they are also outscoring opponents by a 47 to 14 margin. So everything is working for this team right now. But when you look at the offense, you're, you're talking about a lineup that's essentially producing eight runs per game over the last week. And so team-wide, things start to look good. And then on an individual basis, as you would expect, things are starting to look pretty good. So as bad as Kyle Schwarber has been at points this season, the average is up to 209. Again, like, should we be penciling him in for an all-star vote at this point? No. But 209 with an 809 OPS, that'll play, especially if the guy's going to have 15 home runs at this point in the season. I mean, the guy's basically tracking a 40-plus home run pace. So that looks pretty good. Bryce Harper, you know, two more hits yesterday. His OPS is up over 1,000 now. Hotubal Herrera, who, like, I know that we've talked about a lot on, on this show, especially in recent weeks, gets an opportunity late in the game yesterday. He homers, two more RBIs, 850 OPS. Didi Gregorius has been fantastic since he's come back. I mean, you can go down the line here, and there are so many individuals that are starting to kind of click together at the same time that you go, wow, like you're starting to see the depth of the lineup. Yeah, and the one, the only guy, and I don't want to go negative here, but the only guy who's really not been consistent, or at least not consistent enough, because I guess hitting 250 is okay, but just not really producing. It's mostly a, mostly a lot of empty singles at this point. Is Nick Castellanos, and he's your cleanup yeah. hitter. Um, so like he's the one guy, and I wonder if maybe 
you know, now that you're playing a couple of weaker teams, maybe give them a day off or something and see if that kind of kind of recharges them a little bit. I mean, you can you can kind of get away with going with Odubel and Moniak or Odubel and Veerling or Veerling and Moniak, however you want to combine them um, in the outfield for one game. I kind of agree. Like, I'm not in a point where you're like, hey, he needs to sit down or, like, let's start platooning him or anything no, like no. that. Give, give him a game. No, yeah, we know what the track record is and we would expect him to hit, but, you know, 250 is 250 and you called it a soft 250 and that's that's pretty much true. I mean, he has 13 doubles, which, okay, seven home runs at this point and, you know, that's why the OPS is just a tick over 700 right now and that's not what you'd expect from him. If you would have If you would have laid it all out, like, who's the one guy that, that you're really excited about, other than Bryce Harper. Like, who's the one guy that you really truly believe in from an offensive standpoint this year? For me, it, w- it would be him. Maybe it still is, but you know, I texted you yesterday. And I said, "Man, th- this guy has not been what I expected, and not what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Not not what I've seen as recently as last year. I just, I don't quite see that like that that edge, like that fire. Like, I thought he was going to be a guy like out on the field, like." He's hitting a home run. He's pointing into the dugout. He's you know LFG, that whole deal. And and I guess when you're not you're not producing like that, then it makes it a little harder to be that guy. And he hasn't been horrible, right? You know, but he just hasn't been the impact guy that he, I. Yeah, I it's it's weird because it seems to me that he does one of two things. He's either hitting a bloop single to right field or over to second baseman, which I'm okay with. Hey, look. More power to you that you can go the other way. I love it. I love that you're you want to go the other way. Take a pitch where it's where where it's pitched and hit it there, or he, or he's that double in the gap in left center. But like, there's not the power's not been there. I really haven't seen a lot of real great hard contact out of him, um, and and he does seem to get fooled a lot on pitches down in the zo- in the zone, not down and out of the zone, but down in the zone. It's a, it's kind of a little bit of a surprise. Like yeah, he's swinging at strikes and. And missing them, um, mostly sliders, and so maybe that's the thing. Maybe he needs to kind of, you know, he's he's hunting fastballs a little bit. Maybe he's becoming a little a uh, little bit of a guess hitter right now, and that's probably not a good thing. Um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, like you know, it's 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 a weird thing to complain about because, like I said, like you said, like you pointed out, he's had some moments. It's just not been consistent enough. And I think if he becomes a consistent hitter, holy hell, is this lineup really, really stacked? <laughs> because he's right in the middle of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's where things start to get very, very interesting. Um, when you take a, a more high-level look at this, and I always like to just play around with the team-wide numbers uh, as, the, as the season progresses, series to series, and you start looking at it again. And if I would have told you, hey, listen, basically 60 games in, this is where the Phillies are going to be at from an offensive standpoint – 248 batting average, 10th in baseball, slugging percentage, uh, 423, 4th in baseball, OPS, 739, 3rd in baseball. I mean, these are the numbers that that you would expect. And and to be honest with you, I mean, it ultimately comes down to run production. Uh And that's what what you're really going to be looking at. But Right now, the Phillies are scoring 4.86 runs per game this season. That's fifth overall, and that is fourth best in the National League. So, I mean, the offense, from a a big-picture perspective, when you kind of just mesh it all together, is right where you would figure it would be. And what's kind of interesting, and I know you can probably go through every lineup. I don't watch every team every day, so I'm sure that the Giants have guys that are cold at points and and the Dodgers have guys that have gone cold at points. 
but you feel like when you watch this lineup that there may be still a little bit more. And I don't mean like what we've seen over the last six days where they're scoring eight runs per game. They're not going to sustain that, obviously. But I don't know that we've seen the, the best of this lineup. I think that there's a scenario that exists where Castellanos, Harper, Schwarber, and or Hoskins, like three of those four guys all start to cook at the same time. And that's where I think things can get can get very, very interesting. Well, yeah, especially, Bob, because, I mean, you know, we, we pointed out Cassianos, but, you know, Hoskins has been a little bit inconsistent as well, and so has Real Muto been a little bit inconsistent as well. So you're talking about three, again, we're talking about the three right-handers uh, in the lineup um, that really have just not been as good as you need them to be. And so, but, but you also anticipate, knowing the track records of all three guys, that they're going to have their moments and they're going to get hot. And so it's, it's kind of funny. Like, if you can, can, can you imagine this lineup with those guys going as well, that there's not an easy out in the lineup. And that's not even including the fact that Gene Segura is out until September, right? I mean, that's, right. I mean, that's not even including that. I wanted to ask you uh, quickly about him. I think that you and I both agree that he is one of the Phillies' most consistent hitters. He brings a little bit of a different dynamic to the Phillies. He's not uh, so streaky, he's a little bit more consistent. You can hit him at the top of the order. You can slot him in six or seven and, and feel pretty good about him there. He goes out. And they start to win games. And I guess, I remember when they brought him here. I think you and I had a conversation about it. And I, I believe you had said at the time, like, yeah, he's a nice player. But he's bounced around a bunch of different teams. His reputation is not the best and he's never really won anything and I don't get the sense that there's really been any clubhouse issues with him I don't get the sense that he's been a, a bad citizen for the Phillies by any means but like do you think that there's anything to it like we look at Rob Thompson do you think that there's anything to the chemistry standpoint of of Gene Segura not being a lineup every day no I don't I really don't. I think that this was a, this was a team that he kind of finally found his place. I think maybe you know when you look at where he was previously with Arizona and Seattle, that he in Milwaukee that he really just was not well. He, a he was younger, so he was probably you know young and brash a little bit, um, but also that he didn't really find a place in any you know his place in any of those locations. And there was still enough talent there that those teams looked at it and said, okay. You know, this isn't the greatest guy. He's an okay player, but do we want the headache? We could probably get something of value for him. Let's let's do that. And each team actually did it. If you look at all the trades that Gene Segura was involved in, those teams all got value for, for Segura because everybody still valued, you know, what he brought to the table, um, you know, especially in the Phillies trade. You know, Seattle ends up getting J.P. Crawford, who's been been really good for, for Seattle – you know, since since that trade has happened. So, um, but really, I mean, even if you go back to uh, his days before that, um, I forgot he was with I forgot he was with Anaheim first. Uh, he, the Angels got Zach Greinke for Gene Segura. Um, uh, Milwaukee uh, ended up getting you know Chase Anderson and 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 uh, Aaron Hill, who was at least a decent player. Um, uh, and then when they make, well, I think that, that speaks to the. I think that speaks yeah. to the overall talent, right? You know? And when they traded, and then when they traded him to Seattle, they got Cattell Marte and Taiwan Walker. So I mean, like, there's 
so Segura's got talent. There's no doubt about it. He was maybe just not the greatest guy on other teams, but I haven't really felt that way here. I haven't felt like he no, doesn't belong. I. I feel like this is the one team where he's kind of fit in, if that makes sense. No, I, I, I agree with you. It's just a, the timing element of it. I think that, obviously, the, the Thompson-Girardi switchover is, supersedes any other, any other factor. But it is just interesting. I know it's something that people are talking about a little bit. I've seen it out there. I actually heard a talk show the other night bring it up. Seen it a little bit on Twitter. Uh, I don't. I don't personally buy into it, but I did want to kind of pick your brain and see what you thought on that. So I have to tell you, the, the Phillies are in this run right now, and I'm, I'm going to ask you some big picture questions in yeah. a little bit. But I, I want to talk a little bit about this series that they're getting into tonight. And you and I, I think about five or six weeks ago, I actually brought up uh, in a one last thing. You, you asked me about the Diamondbacks. I did. Like, are you a believer? And I said, No, I'm not. Uh, this team isn't that good. And they're not that good, and they've since fallen off a little bit, but they're still hovering around 500. They're still in the conversation. Up until a couple days ago, they were still ahead of the Phillies in terms of the NL wildcard picture. You do a dive into what the Diamondbacks are, and what you see is that they cannot hit. They are a, a bottom 10 team in, in most major offensive categories. And they're especially bad when it comes to putting the ball in play. They're actually second um, second from last in baseball in strikeout percentage. So it should be a good weekend for Phillies pitchers. I believe you get, what, Kyle Gibson tonight. You'll get Zach Wheeler uh, on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. And then I, I guess you get, how will that line up? Suarez, I believe. Yeah, on, on Sunday. So, you know, I feel pretty good about the, the Phillies side of things on the mound. But what I, I do kind of get a little bit concerned about, and it's kind of fun that we're able to look at this on a micro level and talk about each individual series and say, like, hey, like this is an important series. Like they got to get these wins now. They've hit the soft spot of their schedule. And we know that they have three against the Diamondbacks, three against the Marlins, five against the Nationals, and then two against the Bad Rangers team that beat them in two games here at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, earlier this season. So the Phillies have an opportunity now to, to hit a soft spot of the schedule and really make a run. Tonight they, they get a guy, though, a South Jersey guy, Bishop Eustace dude, in Zach Galen, who has been really, really good this year. And they'll also get Madison Bumgarner this weekend, who has had a little bit of a, a resurgence and has probably worked himself into a trade conversation later this summer. I guess, not that, not that I'm asking, like, how do you think the Phillies lineup stacks up against Zach Galen tonight? Because, you know, it, whatever. But I guess what I want to talk about a little bit here is, you know, do, do you expect this team to just really keep their foot on the gas and go? They have to. Like, is it, is it, is it that they, easy? They have to. They have to because... Like you pointed out, this Diamondbacks team isn't great, um, but they are they they are one of those teams that kind of just hangs around on you for whatever reason. And I know that if you look at where they're at in the standings and you look at their record and they're sub five hundred, okay, fine. But really, it's it's because they've they've struggled against the Dodgers. I mean, you take out they played seven games against the Dodgers, lost all seven, right? In the last uh, since the beginning of May, if you if you go back from I guess it's May sixth through yesterday so a little bit over a month 
They're 15 and 10 if you take away the Dodgers games. And that includes series wins against uh, Atlanta, you know, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, who's been decent, Miami, who's been decent. I mean, not, I mean, they're not, they're sub 500, but they're not, you know, the awful. They're better than they play. Right. They're, too. they're, they're, I mean, not, awful, they're that, not awful. They're not awful. The teams. NL East is filled with teams that are better than, yeah. than how they played. Now, obviously, we should probably talk about the Braves at some point, whether that's today or next week. I know. But my, my goodness. God, the Braves, the the Braves have figured it out a little bit, huh? Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, so, like, you know, so, I mean, yeah, they just beat last week. They just beat the Braves two out of three, the Diamondbacks. So it's not – I mean, they're not an automatic by any stretch of the imagination. Are they an easier team than any team that they've played in the last month or so? Probably, unless you want to say, you know, you caught L.A., the Angels, in a really bad spot. Um, maybe that one's the only one that you say that's an easier team. But, um, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, you can't, you can't just say, okay, we got through the tough part. Now we can take the foot off, foot off the brake. I don't think you can do that this weekend. I, I just don't. I just think this is a team that you have to, you have to keep pushing. You got to keep doing it. They, they've had their struggles, the Phillies have, against – inferior competition and that was one of the the biggest problems with the 2021 Phillies is that when they had these runs on the schedule and you felt like wow they could really make their move now they they haven't been able or they weren't able to take advantage of it now this year there are a few games over 500 against teams with losing records and they'll get an opportunity here and I, I kind of am, am with you in the sense that now with Galen, you're talking about a guy that's made 10 starts this season, has a 2-4-0 ERA, striking out about a batter per inning. He keeps the ball in the yard. His whip is under one. And he's done a really nice job for this team. So this is, I, I think, that it's almost like the, the PSA of don't just expect the Phillies to come back home and just rip through this series. They, they're going to have their work cut out for them. Then after that, though, and this is the one I circle. This is the this is the one that I, I have circled on the schedule. Because I have to tell you, after you get through the Diamondbacks this weekend, you know who they have to deal with? They have to deal with the Miami Marlins. Mm-hmm. And it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Three games against the Miami Marlins. And this team is pretty good. The starting pitching is pretty good. They have a lot of good young arms. They're the same pesky offense. They don't they don't overwhelm you, but it seems like they always put together one big inning, come up with a big two out hit. I I have to say, my my thing when I was looking at the Phillies is get to the end of June at 500. Well, things have changed now because of the recent run that they went on. The expectations have to be greater, so they have to. More so even than this weekend. They have got to figure out a way to at least beat this Marlins team two out of three games next week. And I know we'll do another show before then, and we'll react to what's happening this weekend, and we'll set up the Marlins series. But, man, I'm telling you, for a team that's like five games under 500, I have that thing circled in red. Yeah, I mean, well, everybody should because you know, of how much they've struggled against the Marlins. And, and yeah, I mean, look, you, you, you want to prove that you're different than last year, you got to beat the Marlins. And you got to beat the Diamondbacks. Remember, they, they got swept in Arizona swept by the Diamondbacks. in Arizona against a team that didn't win 60 and games. And then they, didn't they then lose three out of four here? It might have been a split here. I don't, I don't remember. I think that they actually won a couple against So it might have been here. a split here. Oh, yeah. But it was a four-game series against the Diamondbacks. So they lost two more. So I think they were like two and – I think they were two and five in seven games against Arizona last year. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, you got you want to prove that you're different. 
Like I, I fully anticipate going into that Washington series next week, where it's a five-game series, that, that the Phillies should beat up on that Nationals team. National that Nationals team stinks, and they're one of the worst teams in baseball. So I fully anticipate the Phillies should do well in that series. But getting there, like, like these series are a little bit easier, but they're not the walkover that we maybe thought they would have been, uh, you know, as much as a month ago. I, I really don't. I really believe that. And I want to bring back something you talked about, Zach Galen. The Phillies against him are hitting 121. What kind of sample size are we talking uh, about? 38 there? plate appearances. Yeah. It's not a ton, but 121. Uh, 237 on base, 540 OPS against Zach Galen. I remember, I remember, I think I covered, I think that was when uh, you were out on paternity leave last year. Uh, I think I went down and did um, a couple of games in that Diamondback series. I'm pretty sure our, he pitched one of those games that I was at, and they couldn't touch him. And that's why I was remember- yeah, I mean, that's why I was kind of remembering like, that. <laughs> we were all obsessing over Mike Trout last weekend in yeah. South Jersey, Millville. I mean, th- this kid was is legit. Yeah. I mean, he was a legit prospect. He went to UNC. He's a third-round pick. I mean, a, a prized prospect, uh, you know, in, in systems when he was with, I guess it was the Cardinals that drafted him, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. I believe he was with the Marlins system, uh, came up there, and, and now is in Arizona. I mean, this is a guy that that has has the ceiling, and he's only 26 years old. And if you go back and you look at his numbers since he's come up, I mean, they've always been pretty good. Yeah. Last year was was okay, but everything else I believe is like sub three. Again, I don't have it in front of me. His, but his career, his career, the, whip, his career whip, Bob is one point one eight. Yeah, it's pretty good. And so you're, you're <laughs> talking about a guy that's 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 pretty solid here, and so he doesn't really get the, the South Jersey love the way that that other guys do uh, when they come around. But he uh, he was born, grew up in the like the Somerdale area. I mean, there's like four minutes away from my house. Yeah. So like th- this is a guy that you know you seen pitch you an ERA plus guy. Yeah. 170, yes. 172 right now this year. Yeah. Pretty damn good, yeah. man. So he may be he may be pacing uh towards uh, his first all star appearance yes. if he keeps this yeah. up. So I don't know that the Phillies are gonna, you know, put up eight or nine on him tonight, but they'll have to try to find a way. I would actually say Arizona has the pitching advantage in this game. I know the Phillies are favored. I checked the lines earlier at DraftKings, but uh it's not it's not an awesome betting spot, I will no, say that. It's not. It's not. Baumgartner, yeah, like cool. Like I, I, re, I respect the the resurgence here, but I'm not as, I'm not quite as worried about that that one. So here's here's where I think we're at today. Um, the last week has obviously changed the math. It's changed the calculus of the season and and what they've got to do to get over 500. What they've got to do to compete for a playoff spot. And as we talk. They're nine games, I believe, behind the New York Mets. I think they have been down as, as much as what? Uh, or as many as 12 what? And 12 and a half? half yeah. So they've shaved almost seven, you know, 25% of, of that deficit off in, in basically a week. They're knocking on the door of having the division conversation again. I can't really compute that, I think, until they're at seven games. Mm-hmm. Like seven for me is the number where I'll start saying like, 
okay, let's let's put the Mets back in the conversation. Like, you know, if the Mets are playing the the Cardinals or they're playing the Giants, it almost works in the Phillies' favor if, if the wild card is the goal for the Mets to just continue to win those games. But if it gets down to six or seven games, I think you can start to shift your focus and and look at, hey, what are the Mets doing now? So while I'm not quite there on, on the Mets, I'm seeing St. Louis lose a couple games this week. I'm watching the Giants struggle since they left Philadelphia. And I do think that the wild card is kind of becoming in, into focus here. Like I said, like they're, they're two and a half games out. So what are your expectations here? Like, here we are. It's June 10th. Are they a playoff team? What do you expect? I do think they're a playoff team. Um, my concern is, and we, you, know, you, you briefly mentioned them, my concern is, is Atlanta has figured it out, and I still think that they're the best team in the Eastern Division. And if I, if if I, I'm curious. I'm gonna to have to look this one up. Maybe you have it handy there. I wonder what the odds are on on the Braves to win the division right now, because oh, I could get that because if you could stall I would say I would say that it's probably plus something. Um, so it's a value bet. I would I would lay that money in a heartbeat because I think that they're gonna catch the Mets. Um, the Mets. We knew they weren't gonna be able to sustain the pace that they were on. Um, not that they've been terrible of late, but you know we've lost four out four out of seven on this road trip so far. Now they're headed back to uh, uh, Los Angeles to face the Angels. Um, I guess Anaheim. Now the Angels, of course, yeah, we know the kind of disarray they were in. But they the red hot Angels. They got a win did, last they night. They snapped their fourteen game losing streak yesterday. Um, so maybe uh, maybe that kind of wakes them up a little bit this weekend, and they help you out. But then you know then the, then the Mets got to face Milwaukee. Um, and they got they got four games coming up with Houston, um, and seven with my seven with Miami uh, for the rest of this month. So it's again not an easy schedule for the Mets, um, uh, but not a you know not a not a terribly difficult one either. But yeah, I mean if it, you know if you compare them, can the Phillies make up a couple games here in the next couple weeks on the Mets and kind of get back to that number that you're looking for? You want to get to seven? I, th- I certainly think that's possible. I think that's reasonable. Um, and and do you ask me? Do I think they're a playoff team? I do because I look at the I look at the, uh, the National League, and you got to assume that there's okay. You got three contenders for sure in the East if you count the Phillies. You got two in the Central, and you got three in the West. So you got eight teams for six spots. And the question is, are the Phillies one of the six best teams of those eight? And I think they are. Um, I, I I think that they're better than the Giants. I think that the Giants are kind of. They're kind of hanging on because they've had a little bit easier schedule. But once they start playing some really good teams, I think you're going to see the Giants start to fall out of it a little bit. I don't think that they have the same talent that they had a year ago. Um, and I and I do think that I think Milwaukee. There's just something about you know me. I don't. I've never liked that lineup. I really don't like it at all. I don't know how it's going to win. And if you have injuries like they're suddenly they're having, you know, Woodruff is hurt. Uh, if their pitching staff is not at its peak. I could see them falling out too. And so I look at it and I say, I think three teams from the East can get in, two from the West, and St. Louis. And I think that the Phillies are, are one of the six. Now, where they finish, if they're six, if they're five, whatever, okay. But if they're, I think they're going to be there. All right. Well, we can get into the odds a little bit in a second. But it's one thing I do want to point out, and I tweeted about this and I put it in a story earlier this week. 
you look at teams against uh, or games against teams with winning records this season. The Phillies lead all of baseball. They've played 35 games against teams with winning records to this point, and they've played 57 games total. So more than half their games have come against teams with winning records. The Braves to this point have played 22 games against teams with winning records. The Mets just 25. You look at uh, the um, Cardinals, they've played 30, so still five less. And then you go out to San Francisco, a team you just talked about, 26. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the Phillies by far have played a consistently more I, I difficult think, I think about The thing about the Giants, they're in a division with two other really good teams, yeah. and they haven't really played them. I mean, they got a lot of games left. I got, I'm gonna, I'm, you, did you get the uh, odds on that on the Braves there? I'm, you, while you're doing that, I I'm do. going to tell you how many. I think that they, I think that they honestly have only played six games so far against the Dodgers and Padres. I got to look that up real quick. But um, so here you go. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the NL East uh, odds currently, the Mets are minus two seventy right now. The Braves are plus two seventy five. I, I, I take that. In and then the Phillies are plus twelve hundred. So certainly, odds makers view the Braves as far more likely. Uh, to to win the East than the Phillies, and there are a couple things that go into that. Yes, they have a better record. Yes, they're a better team, and also they're the defending World Series champions. But I am a little bit surprised at the disparity in that number. I would imagine, though, that some of it goes into the fact that the Phillies don't have many games against the Mets coming up. Uh, it may be a little bit harder for them to cut down that deficit, but we'll see where it's at. The, that being said, and just, I, and just I, so you I know, I looked up the Giants thing. They have 29 games left this season against the Dodgers and Padres. Starting this weekend, yeah. they have a three-game series that's against the be... Dodgers this weekend. I mean, that's – you know, I think that that makes a difference. I think that there's a real – you know, when you look at that, how, how tough their schedule is, and the Phillies is not, and they've hung around to be close enough to catch them, I, I just don't see how the Giants hold on. I, I'd be surprised. So. so let me give you this bet. And I don't want to turn this into a gambling podcast, but I do think it's relevant to the conversation. To make the playoffs, yes or no? Actually, let me start here. What do you think they are? What do you think the Phillies are to make the playoffs right now? Well, you since you said that they're, and, and I'm not a big person who believes in this percent chance and that percent chance because it's all just computer modeling, right? I mean, they're, they're sure. guessing on game outcomes, and and you know you don't know what injuries will do, whatever, but. Um, if they're if they're at thirty one percent to make the playoffs right now, then I'd say that they're probably in the neighborhood of something like it's got to be something akin to like you know five or six to one. So you're probably six, plus plus six hundred to make the playoffs. Nope. Plus seven hundred to make the playoffs. Uh, nope. Yeah, plus one forty to make the get playoffs. out of town. Minus, really, minus one seventy is no. So no is favored, but. Not that long of a shot. Wow. And there are some people. It's interesting. I've, I've read a lot lately where there are some executives around the game that are like, this is a flawed team. These were comments from 10 days ago, but this is a flawed team. They are underperformers. They are lifeless. It's just not a very good team, and we're not all that surprised that this is where they're at. And then you listen to some other people talk, and they're like, this team's pretty good. Yeah. Like, you look at the offense. You look at the starting pitching. They have some decent pieces in the back end of the bullpen. They're better than this. And so it's it's now we're getting to a point where these contrasting ideas are sort of are sort of uh, merging together and we're right at this this fork in the road now. Um, the, the only other thing I wanted to talk about, and I know I'm like we're just bouncing around here a little bit today and that's fine, whatever. 
But I, one thing I want to talk about before we get to the one last thing, because I look up and I feel like we're only 20 minutes into this and we're 47 minutes into it. Corey Knable, we've had a conversation about what to do with him at closer. You know, do you do you bump him? Do you do you let him ride this thing out? What do you do? You're Rob Thompson. Like, does that matter? The fact that you're a new manager. It's the same situation that's been going on for five weeks, but this is a, a guy in a different seat. Does he does he view this as his opportunity to ride it out with this guy and, and get him to buy in and believe? Or does he make a move? We watched Tuesday night, and how many games have the Phillies won, or you think they've won late, they let things slip away, and he, they have this, this awesome, awesome ninth inning against Josh Hader, and Corey Knable goes out and walks the bases loaded, runs deep counts, He's only throwing fastballs. It's a disaster. He wins. He saves the game. Great. Kudos to him. I came away from that going, holy shit. No, I'm the same way, Bob. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that they should be throwing Dominguez in as the closer at this point. I mean, there's, there is a certain mentality that is needed for that role, and I'm not certain that Sir Anthony has that. I like to think that he does because he's done it before and he did it with with some success. But he's also the guy with the nastiest fastball in the bullpen right now. And so with that being said, why not? I mean, if Knebel, if, if all he, he does not trust his curveball a little bit and he's not using it, you know, in tight spots and it's just let me just throw 95-mile-an-hour fastballs up there and hope I hit locations and, and, and you know, that's good enough, That's that's too much finger-crossing for me. It really is, especially if you want to be a playoff team. And, you know, are the Phillies going to probably go out and get another back end of the bullpen piece before the deadline? Yeah, very likely. Um, it might be a closer even if it's, you know, if it's somebody that's uh, that they really think could, could, you know, fill that role. But for the time being, and we talked about this, I remember we talked about this last year when Ranger was going so well in that middle relief role. It was like, well, why don't we, why don't we put Ranger in the closing spot? And they did briefly. And then they traded for Ian Kennedy and then put Ranger into the starting lineup, uh, starting rotation. But it was the same concept. It's like, hey, at least for the time being, go with Dominguez, see what he can do. If he if he's great there, awesome. If not, you go get a piece. You go get that piece in, in the back end. But I, I don't think you can risk it at much longer with Knievel. I mean, maybe you do here against these weaker, somewhat weaker teams, and you know. Yeah, I just and that's where I, where I was going to go. Hope with it, it builds I mean, the confidence, numbers. right? The numbers are the numbers. Anybody can sit back and watch what's happened over the last five weeks and say, this guy is pitching at an elite level in Sir Anthony Dominguez, and this guy looks totally lost right now in Corey Knable. And you dive deeper into the numbers, right? And I know we talked about this maybe about three or four weeks ago, but Corey Knable's a two-pitch pitcher. And what makes him effective is that he has a good curveball. Well, last season he threw the curveball 42% of the time. This season he's throwing at 28% of the time. And it probably goes without saying, but the results have not been nearly as good. Uh, opponents hit 186 against him last year on curveballs. They're hitting 263 against him this year. Last year they slugged 233 against his curveball. This year they're slugging 421 against it. So not only has the pitch been less effective, he's now scared of throwing it. And he's basically set himself up as a one-pitch pitcher with a guy, and he's a guy that has a 95, 96-mile-an-hour fastball that's okay. It's, it's not one of the premium pitches in the game. And so he is basically a one-pitch guy right now that's not going to overwhelm you at 100 miles an hour. And so I just wonder, like, if the reality of it is, like, you see the track record and you say, like, hopefully he can figure it out. So maybe there is something to 
trying to ride it out with him. Maybe it clicks and then you say, see, look, now we've got that straightened out. We can still use Dominguez in the setup role and we're just better for it. But I do think we're right at the brink of like, you've got to do something because I think you can lose, you may lose the confidence of an individual player, but if you don't make that move, you may lose the confidence of a clubhouse that says, what the hell are we doing yeah. here? And I know that that's weird to say after six straight wins and like I think everybody's bought in on Rob Thompson. And I'm not saying like he's in danger of losing the clubhouse if he doesn't make a move here. But listen, like again, brace yourselves because there's going to be a stretch where the Phillies lose five out of seven. There's going to be a series loss coming. Like they're going to have adversity and they're still chasing playoff spots. It's, they're still under 500. They've got to maximize what they have. And I would say maybe not pull the plug on it yet tonight, but one more, one more of these in the next like two or three outings for him. And I just don't think you have a choice. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't wait any, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait much longer. Um, yeah, I, I can understand maybe trying to get a little bit of a confidence thing going in him here in the next little bit. And if it doesn't work, then you got to make the switch. Yep. All right, what do you got for me on the one last well, thing? Bob, you have to know what the one last thing is. You have to know today because you know I love when managers outthink themselves. you got to know where I'm going. Tony La Russa. <laughs> like, what the hell is Tony La Russa thinking? And if people don't know, if you're listening in and you don't know what happened, the other night White Sox are playing the, uh, the Dodgers, and um, Dodgers have a 7-5 lead. Runners, uh, uh, Freddie Freeman's on first base, and Trey Turner's up. Okay. Um, Trey Turner, uh, they're facing a, uh, he's facing a left-handed pitcher. Uh, I, forget, I forget who it was that was in for the White Sox at the point, but I know it was a lefty. Left, the pitcher gets the uh, first two strikes on Turner. It's 0-2. Okay, 0-2 count. Then throws a wild pitch. Freddie Freeman moves up to second base. Now it's 1-2. And Tony La Russa intentionally walks Trey Turner on a 1-2 count to get to Max Muncy, who's a lefty who's been struggling, okay, and Muncy comes up and hits a three-run homer. Basically puts the game out of reach. Dodgers Dodgers end up winning. I think it was 11-7 to seven or 11-8 to eight was the final. But they go up 10-5 at that point in the sixth inning. And it's pretty much over. What the hell is he thinking? Then he defended it. Because I want to get into that, too. That he defended the decision. But, I mean, come on, Bob. I mean, where are we at in this sport where that makes sense to you? <laughs> I will tell you that... Uh... <laughs> Trey Turner in one two counts in his career is a 197 hitter. Yeah. So I just don't know where, like what number you look at where you say, let's put the the tying run on base. We'll bring the go-ahead run to the plate. We have an advantageous count in which the outcome here is likely going to result in an in and out. Yeah. I, I just I don't know. I'll, 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 I don't I'll know. Give, here's the only thing I'll, I'll give for, for La Russa, and your numbers are absolutely correct with uh, Turner and two strike counts, but if you look at it, two strike counts against left-handed pitching, two fifty-three. So it's a little bit better, a little bit better. That's the only thing. I think this year he's five for fifteen in one-two counts against left-handed pitching. So all right, he's three thirty-three in a very small sample size this season. Um, but look at Muncie career against left. Muncie's a better hitter. He's kind of one of those weird reverse guys. He actually hits better against left-handed pitching than he does right-handed pitching, and he's a power threat. Not that, not that Turner can't hit a home run, but if Turner hits a home run on the one-two count, okay, it's it's a different score, but it's it's only you know it's only nine to five. But I mean, holy shit! Like, what are you thinking? 
So here you go. This is a good way to break this down. So Turner against left-handed pitchers after a 1-2 count is hitting 258 with a 310 on base percentage and a 390 um, Slug. slugging percentage, yeah, okay. okay? All right, so, like, respectable. So then here's here's Max Muncy against lefties. 251, 365 on base percentage, and a 492 slugging percentage. Right. Like, I mean, you, you can look at it and say, oh, I don't love this Turner matchup. But then to look ahead and say, oh, like, let's go get Muncy. Like, and then you look at those numbers, like, he has to have those available. No. Right. Like, I'm always thinking. I just don't know. And, and this to me, I mean, this screams to me. Uh, and then he comes out and says, well, this is a no-brainer, guys. I mean, you know, we got the lefty, no lefty, brainer, lefty yeah. coming out. And, and even Tony La Russa, even an old, grizzled manager from – he's been managing baseball since the early 80s. Even a guy like him has now become a slave to the computer numbers that will throw off a game, that will throw off a decision. And, and look, I get it that they work a lot. I understand it. But when they don't work, man, do they look bad. Well, and listen, <laughs> Joe Madden gets fired. We're talking about how he was probably going to get fired the other day. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to happen later that that day. Yeah. But, I mean, he's Mr. Analytics. He was at the forefront of, like, new wave thinking. And, I mean, the race for God's yeah. sake. And he even said, like, it's gotten to the point where it's just shoved down our throats. Like, where you're basically a mannequin in the dugout just pressing buttons based on numbers. And... That's really the way that the game has has gone, and the way that the game has trended here. Yeah, it's, it's Tony Larusa. It's not. Working. I have to say, he may be the next guy on the hot seat because you're talking about a White Sox team right now. And granted, they're only five games behind the Twins. It's early, and I know that we're talking about the Phillies. It's different when you're you're ten, twelve games out versus five. But I mean, that team is grossly underachieved. Twenty six and twenty nine at this point. That's a team that had legitimate. They were my deep. They were my preseason pick to win the American League. And the fact that they're, they are where they are right now is major disappointment. Major disappointment. And I'm curious to see. I don't know. Uh, just looking real quick here at the White Sox schedule. They have the Rangers. So, okay, they host the Rangers, who have also underachieved a little bit as well this season for three games at home this weekend. And I'm kind of curious to see if there's a hangover effect after yesterday's game. I always like, and we went through this with Joe Girardi and the Phillies recently, where you have these horrible losses and you just can't even comprehend what you watched. And then is there a hangover effect? And I think for the Phillies, there definitely was a hangover effect. And I'm curious to see if there's a hangover effect for this White Sox team this weekend after something like that. Do you kind of check out and say, Jesus, you know, like, what are, if, what are we doing? And, and if, is there a hangover effect to it? Yeah. So yeah, I'm with you, man. That was one of the, the craziest things. I can usually spin uh, an argument when you get these, like, uh, what would you have done here? This didn't really make sense on the surface, but you kind of dig a little bit deeper and you can kind of push back. And this is one where you watch it and go, what on earth? What are they thinking? What on earth are we looking at? Yeah. No, just go get the guy. Just go get the guy. Look, you want, you want to throw him a pitch or two out of the zone and see if he chases, you know, and if he doesn't, it's 3-2 and then say, okay, I'm not going to challenge him with a fastball. I'll, you know, I'll still throw, throw a slider, throw a curveball, whatever. And if we miss and he ends up walking, okay, fine. I could kind of see that kind of approach a little bit, you know. But, man, it's a one-two count. One-two. He's up there protecting. He's not up there looking to drive a ball in the gap or hit a home run. It just – in a sixth inning, no less, of a game. Yep. I mean, it's not like it's the end of the game either. It's – I it just 
blew me away, Bob. Just completely blew me away. All right. Well, the Phillies have uh, played 57 games. So by Sunday, late afternoon, they'll have played 60 games. Uh, so what will the Phillies' record be after 60 games? I think, come I think they'll win two Sunday. out of three this weekend. I mean, you can't predict a, a winning streak of 10 games, right? I mean, you just you just can't. And I like the Diamondbacks pitchers a little bit. I think that there's, you know, I mean, we, we talked about Galen a little bit. Uh, Bumgarner's pitching well. The thing about Bumgarner, you know, you think you might be able to take advantage of him. The one thing is the Phillies' right-handers are not hitting, and that's and that's what it, you need right-handers to hit against Bumgarner, or else you're you know you're in trouble because he's really good against lefties. Don't worry about it. Oduble will take yeah, care from the left side. There you no, go. No Oduble worries. from the left side. Um, but really, and that's and that's it. so. I mean, I think like you know, win one of those two, you probably win Sunday, and then you take two out of three, and you're happy going into that Marlins series. There you go. The 500 Phillies hosting the Miami Marlins for the right to cross the 500 barrier. I'm okay with that. I love it. Right? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I got two out of three this weekend. All right, well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'm Bob Wankel, again, for Anthony Sanfilippo. Uh, Check out Crossed Up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Leave us a five-star comment if you listen on Apple. And uh, do all those things for us. It always helps us out. Thanks for tuning in, and we will be back to talk to you guys on Monday morning.